Good morning. Uh, for those on the live stream, hello. For those here, good morning. My name's Langdon. Uh, we are doing the very last in our series of Hebrews. We kicked off Hebrews at the beginning of the year. Uh, we got a little caught up in the COVID. We put it on pause. We're back. We're in the final little chunk. And uh, this final little chunk, we're going to look at it as in a number of chunks this morning. So what we've got in this passage is about five chunks of gold. So we're going to go mining for the gold this morning, and there's lots in there. Uh, and we're going to ask one very important thing. Obviously, we've got to ask that God's going to speak to us by his word. So would you pray along with me wherever you are this morning? Heavenly Father, as we look uh, at your word, as we look at this letter to the Hebrews, Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit that as we go through these, these verses, Lord, that you would speak to us, you would challenge us, change us, and transform us by your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, awesome. Uh, as we've been going through Hebrews, uh, one of the big themes that's come across, obviously, is that the Hebrew writer is encouraging uh, those Christians to not give up, not give up being Christian no matter what they're going through, not revert back to their Judaism. And so we're going to continue on. Steve took us through a bit last week, and we're just going to go through in chunks. So if you have your Bible or your device, the words are going to be on the screen. Read along. We're going to try to look through each of these verses as we go. So let's have a look at our first little chunk here. It's about strange teaching. He's been talking about leadership. He says this, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. Not by eating ceremonial foods, foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. What is this strange teaching he's talking about? He's talking about ceremonial foods or ceremonial meals. Uh, in Judaism, it was a really big part of the culture and a special strengthening to eat certain foods or to have a certain meal together. And it's really, it could be a really strengthening, beautiful thing. Uh, when I was preparing the sermon this week, someone brought in uh, to the office, donuts, steamy, fresh, fantasy donuts, so good, and I made an audible noise, I was so excited, like, oh, so good. It strengthened me, but it didn't give me spiritual strength, it just gave me the glory of hot cinnamon yum. But this is the thing, Jews had these great, you know, it's a great part of Jewish culture, Psalm 104 talks about how bread and wine can sustain the heart, food was associated with blessing. And there was a sense that you get a special strengthening from these ceremonial foods or, uh, or meals. But here's the strange teaching. The strange teaching was saying, you can get that strength, but you can only get a special strengthening in your faith if you have that special food. In fact, if you don't have that, you're going to miss out on a special strength in your Christian faith. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, whoa, no. No, 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 no. That's completely, that's wrong. Move away from that strange teaching. As Christians, we have all the strength we need from God's grace. It's why he says it is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. It's grace. Grace is God's absolutely amazing kindness that he keeps on exerting out. He exerted it out by sending the Lord Jesus to die for our sins. He sent it out by helping us to come to a knowledge of that and knowing the forgiveness of sins when we trust in Jesus. He shows us his grace day after day. Everything we need, God has for us in his grace. And 
following this strange teaching and say, is a saying, I'm not going to look to all that God has. I'm going to have to do something special, maybe like following a, a law or something like that. As Steve Abbott reminded us from verse 8 last week, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus does not change from grace. So following this strange teaching that it's talking about would be a step away from that. And the writers are saying, don't listen to any leaders, and I think this is for us, anyone who says, you know, you're going to get a special spiritual blessing, you're going to be closer to God if you do uh, something like this, uh, some special thing, any teaching that moves away from the fact that God just gives us his grace completely is to be avoided. Uh, I know for me, uh, there's a great tradition on Good Friday of not eating meat. So my tradition was, I'd have a fillet of fish from McDonald's. Is that bad? Yes. And I would do that because, not because you know, I, as on a Good Friday, I would like to be part of you know, the tradition of hundreds of years of people eating fish. Fish is delicious, full of omega-3. Um, but I didn't do it, oh, I didn't do it to get a special blessing. I did it because I want to be in line with that tradition. But if someone said to me, Langdon, you can only get a special blessing from eating a fillet of fish, we'd have to reject it. And the writer to the, the Hebrews is encouraging, he's encouraging the church, walk away from the old covenant. Walk away from Judaism. Embrace your faith. Listen to what he says in verse 10. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. There's an implication here that someone was saying to the Hebrew Christians, you're missing out on something. You're missing out on having an altar. What does that mean? What's an altar? An altar was the place where the sacrifices uh, were made, the killing of animals or different things, uh, to satisfy the uh, law. What is our altar? It's the cross. The cross is the place where Jesus died on the, for our sins. He took the punishment. He took the sacrifice. That's our altar. Have a look at this chunk. Verse 11. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. So this is talking about the Day of Atonement. And it's something we've mentioned before, but the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, this is a day every year where the sin offering was taken, where the high priest would go into the most holy place in the temple and he would uh, sacrifice for his own sin, but for the sin of the people. And as we read this, there's a couple of implications for, one, for us. One is that the priests could, in other times, eat once the sacrifice was taken, could eat the, the leftover bits. They could use that. But in this situation, he's saying, that as the priest is not allowed to eat the sacrifice, so the Jew is not allowed to access all the blessings, all the grace of Jesus, unless they come to the altar of Jesus themselves. But secondly, we see from this little chunk that the bodies of the animals weren't burned in the temple, they're burned outside the temple. And the writer makes the uh, comparison, the parallel, that 
just as Jesus, just as the bodies were burned outside the camp, Jesus was burned outside the city in a way of disgrace, as he was an outsider. And the writer's saying, I want you Christians to identify with Jesus. Jesus, when he made that ultimate sacrifice for us, he was in disgrace, he was outside the camp. And this is what we're to take on as Christians. Don't be surprised that being a Christian means being a disgrace, means being an outsider. And the encouragement for that is, are we ready for that? I think, do we struggle with the fact that being a Christian does mean being an outsider in our culture, in our community? Verse 14, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. And we talked about in chapter 12, the two mountains comparison. We talked about this, in this city that is to come, that though we're running our race, we know the finishing line is this enduring city that will never be shaken. That is our future. And the writer is saying, embrace the disgrace of Jesus. That's who you are. Keep your eyes focused on your identity, on, on living for this future city that is to come. What's it all mean? What's, it, what's this little chunk mean for us? Here's the thing. I think a couple of things. Firstly, don't listen to the false teachings. Anything that says you're missing out spiritually. If you ever feel like you're missing out in some way being Christian, the writer's saying, no, you're not. Don't go looking at all these extra spiritual blessings in other places. God has everything available to us by his grace. Ephesians says we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. God gives it freely. We can pursue it. And we need to be fully content in our identification with Christ. We need to fully own our faith. Do you fully own being a Christian? Are you public? Do your friends know you're a Christian? Do your people at work, at school, do we own it? Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, one of my first uh, after-school jobs was working up at Wind Television. Uh, we got to make the news programs, it was very cool. And uh, one of the cool things I got, was pretty special for me, I got given a t-shirt. Check it out, pretty cool. Wind's Wide World of Sports, old school. I got to wear this t-shirt, and let me say, when I got my job, I got my t-shirt, I would stroll around the shopping centre wearing my t-shirt. I thought I was the king ding-a-ling. I thought I'm pretty good, because I owned it. I'm like, I am Wind TV, look at me, look at me, you know, bit, you know, just excited, just excited to be an employee of Wind Television, I was, and, um, and I just owned it. Oh, Tina's asking for those on the screen. Why didn't Tina... Tina, I don't... Tina did work at Wynn, didn't you, way back in the day? I don't know, Tina. Can't tell you why I didn't get a shirt. But I owned it. For better or worse, I owned it. And I think the writer to the Hebrews is saying, if we're going to be a Christian, we have to own it. And that's dangerous. Owning being a Christian, isn't it? That's risky for relationships. Increasingly so. Are we willing to own it? The other T-shirts we've been... Well, we're in the T-shirt zone. I brought in another T-shirt. Just before COVID, I bought for our congregation a whole bunch of Jesus Is T-shirts. I still have a whole lot, so if you want one, give us a call. Um, but one of the great things, we got these T-shirts because it can start conversation. But one of the things about these T-shirts is, if you wear this T-shirt, 
you know, if you strolled out, you're really owning your faith, aren't you? It's a real challenge. And the challenge is not just, you know, what if I have a conversation? Am I willing, if I put this T-shirt and stroll down through the shopping, stroll down through the shopping center, am I going to own my faith? Am I willing to do that? I'm not saying you have to wear a T-shirt, but I think what the writer to the Hebrews is saying here, own your faith. We've got to own it. I think that's what he's getting to as he gets into uh, verse 15 too. He says, through Jesus, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Again, as we go through Hebrews, he's comparing Judaism with what we have in Christ. And he's saying, you know, as a Christian, you don't have the sacrificial system anymore. We don't have to go and sacrifice these animals, obviously. But we can make sacrifices. And isn't, listen to what he's saying. One of the first sacrifices that we can make is this sacrifice with our lips of praise. Openly confessing Christ. Openly saying we're a Christian. Openly expressing your relationship with God. It plays out in lots of ways. One of the ways is, it's why we worship. If you ever wonder, why do Christians sing? Why do we get together and worship God? Why do we get together and belt out love songs to God and, and these sorts of things? This is it. A sacrifice is something you give up, isn't it? And it's something that you give up and you give out. And God, and it pleases God. God is actually pleased when we sing. God is actually pleased when we own it, when we say that we're a Christian, when we, when we use our lips to, to give praise to God. It pleases God, makes him smile. So we can uh, sacrifice to God through praise from our lips, through doing good. Um, I think probably uh, part of this is doing ministry, I think is what it's getting to. Uh, anything that uh, you know, we can do good to show our love for God, show our love for others. You know, when we serve each other, it's a sacrifice of praise to God. And also it says when you're sharing with each other, when you're in the context of community and you're looking around your community, you're sharing with each other. I love it when COVID came in, we started live streaming, there were needs for new equipment and there were people in our congregation that said, I'm not going to leave it up to the parish council or something, I'm going to go help out, I'm going to buy some equipment. You know, I think that's really cool, it's a community looking out. I love it when I hear stories when people are sick, going through tough times, and I love the stories when our community gets together and helps each other, you know, and calls each other off, up, takes around meals, you know, there's season need and we look out for each other. These are the sacrifices that make God smile. This is our love. This is a grace at work in us. Let's keep doing that as we do that. All right, that's, that was the biggest chunk you ready for another chunk? All right, we'll keep on going. This is a bit more of a hardcore chunk. This is verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honourably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I might be restored to you soon. This makes me uncomfortable to talk about, to be honest, to preach about. There's certain passages you go, yeah, I wish, someone, I wish Ian was doing this or something like that. And I'll tell you why. 
Because at first reading, when you hear that, does it sound a bit self-serving for a leader to uh, do that? One of the things that is really important for us is we're going to, we teach the Word of God, the whole Word of God, so we're not going to neglect it. But also as we read it, we live in a generation that people are living out the consequences of suffering spiritual manipulation. I've seen it. There are members in the congregation, I know, that have suffered through serious, uh, dire spiritual manipulation. And these sort of verses can be used for that. And I don't know, when you read them, they can raise all these things on to acknowledge that. I've no doubt they've been used to manipulate, control people. And one of the things these verses do, it raises a high level for Christian leadership. And I've got to stand here and say, I wish I was perfect and I'm not. I know I hurt people, I know, I, you know. So, you know, this is a real, uh, the weightiness of these verses uh, is so important. But let's have a look at what it's saying. It seems like that in these verses, between the, uh, the church that the writer to the Hebrews is, is writing to and the leadership is having some sort of strained relationship. The leaders in that church, this is a second or third generation church, their church was probably planted by people who were disciples of Jesus or followers of Jesus, uh, people who knew Jesus, and the leaders of the church were those who uh, were taught what Jesus was taught, uh, taught, were, knew the teachings, had correct doctrine, were passed on, you know, and we're into second and third generation of leaders. The leaders weren't to pass on new insights, they were to pass on and use the wisdom and right living of what they knew of Jesus, what they knew of Jesus. And this passage seems to be about advocating good order in the church. What does it tell us? Here's a couple of things that I've picked up. Leaders have responsibility to communicate good Christian doctrine and living to the church. That means when, you know, in our context, when a preacher, myself, Shane, Ian, whoever's going to preach, we don't get up and say, all right, Langdon, what ideas, what cool things can you say to encourage people today? The point of when we look at God's word is to say, what is God's word saying? How do we fully understand what's God saying to the original readers? How does that apply to us? How can we communicate what God's word is saying? That's got to be our heart. You've got to pray for us as we do that. And this goes if you're a small group leader, if you're a life group leader. The trick is don't look at, you know, oh, this evokes some thought in my mind, so and that sounds cool. What is God's word actually saying? That's the way to build a foundation in Christ. So leaders have to preach have to look to what God is actually saying, and they're to keep watch, as it says there. Be vigilant, be wide awake for good doctrine, for any way that they see the church moving away from, from God, away from good doctrine. And leaders will be brought to special account for the way they instructed the church. That's what the passage says. Church members, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their doctrinal authority. And there's a practical sense to this. If you are a part of the church and you come to church, you watch church online, you say, you know, you listen to the Bible teaching and you go, I'm not going to do any of that. You know, of course that's not going to be a helpful thing if you're going to uh, not follow through with it. Uh, it's going to make the church community a healthy community. So the writer there is saying, submit to those in leadership you will completely drain the leaders of the church and how's that going to benefit you? 
I know these verses can evoke uh, these things. Consider how you relate to leadership. Recognize that you can make a leader's work a joy or a blessing. You have that ability. And if you make it a burden, if you make, it, uh, if you make life hard for the leader, that's going to come and, and play it on you as well. If you've got an issue or something like that, consider, just take time to consider where is the leader at as you seek to find that resolution. And it says, you know, in verse 18 and 19, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honourably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I might be restored to you soon. It's an encouragement to pray for your church leaders. Do you pray? Pray for Ian. Pray for the church leadership. Pray for the parish council. Pray for the wardens. Pray for the youth group leaders. Pray for the life group leaders. Pray for your bishop. We need it. We need it big time. I've seen in the news um, allegations against Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias... Uh, died recently, but allegations are coming out uh, about temptations and things and, and there'll be an investigation. I don't know what that means. But it shows us Christian leaders aren't special. Christian leaders aren't immune from any of these temptations. Christian leaders are under great pressure. Pray for your Christian leaders. Pray for those that are, that are leading uh, you. What does this not mean? It doesn't mean that you can't walk away from a church if you're not happy with the leadership or some issue. It doesn't mean that uh, you should ever be forced into being in a community. And it doesn't mean you have to agree or be silent. And I hope that we don't have a culture of that. And I hope we can continue to develop that's not our culture. It doesn't mean you have to be in denial about something and submit uh, you know, if, if there's some major issues. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. Uh, the writer in verse 19 says, I particularly urge you to pray so that I might be restored to you soon. We don't know what that means. But it could mean that there could be an issue that he has to, to you know, stop him. Maybe, maybe there's an issue with him in the leadership. I think this, this section, it's hard. But it's a desire for a healthy community. With all the potential for corruption, with all, you know, with all the potential for... Uh, all the ways that, that, that I know we can read into this, that we've let this down in so many ways. But it shows that we need to pray for our leadership. It benefits everyone when things are working well, that we can uh, go in God's strength. It's, it's, a hard, it's, a hard, it's a hard passage. If you want to talk more about that little section with myself or Shane or someone else, please do that. So we'll end that chunk there and we'll look at a couple more. We're going to move in to this final thing of the benediction. Tony Horsley gave me a Latin lesson this morning. The word benediction, bene, means good in the Latin. Diction means word. And we're going to see it as we move into the end of this book of Hebrews, this benediction. A benediction is something that is, you'll see throughout uh, the Bible, throughout Scripture. They were very part of... Uh, sermons or letters in the, in the ancient world, they expressed a wish for the reader, often a summary of what had been said. There's many throughout the New Testament, and this is a great thing to memorise. So this afternoon, uh, I would encourage you, go and memorise this. And this brings this whole section of, of the book to a close. It says in verse 20, 
Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. These are an amazing thing. This is a whole sermon in itself, but we'll have a look at this just briefly. May the God of peace, the God who has taken away the barrier between man and himself through Jesus' blood, may that God of peace, who gives us peace between God, he's the God of peace. We've seen throughout Hebrews this uh, idea of the scattering of the blood. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. God has this amazing power that can even raise Jesus Christ from the dead. And he's saying, that's the God that I want to present you Hebrews to. May that God equip you with everything you need to do his will. Everything you need, God has for us, as we've talked about. This is this idea of grace. May God equip you with everything you need. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him. May may he do in us, not what's pleasing to us, may he do in us, may we be open and malleable that we can be what is pleasing to him. What a great way to finish this book of Hebrews to consider. What an amazing way to consider taking what we've learned about in Hebrews. But I'm going to give us one more little section I love these little sections at the end. Sometimes they're handwritten in the original script. We don't know if this one was. Um, but, but a few more verses in this last little section before we close. Finally, he says, Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact I've written to you quite briefly. Now, Hebrews is 13 chapters. There's something around 5,000 original Greek words on one of the translations. I wouldn't call that a brief letter. I think what the Hebrew writer is saying is, there is so much I could have written. I use great self-control to to use less words. You might be wondering, Langdon, are you still preaching? Can you use less words? I need that self-control. But what he's saying is, take all you have learned from this book of Hebrews. Go and keep looking into it. And that's for us. We've gone through this book. We've uh, talked about it together. We've looked at it in Bible studies. Go through, keep looking into all these words. Take what you've already, uh, take it and ingest it. Live it out. It's my great exhortation. He then wants to let them know, uh, I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. We think it's the same Timothy uh, that Paul refers to in the rest of the New Testament. Uh, From prison, we're assuming, there's nowhere else in the New Testament that says that Timothy was in prison, uh, but we know. He also says in verse 24, Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people, those from Italy, send you their greetings. This verse makes us think that uh, if there was Italians with the rights of the Hebrews, maybe they were, the, the Hebrew churches were in Rome. But he's greeting all those leaders and members of the Christian community. I love these little chunks. Because when you read these, it reminds me, this is not just words on a page. You know when you read your Bible, sometimes it can be a... Uh, a head sort of a thing, it's a mental thing and it's words on a page and you're studying. This reminds me, these are actual people who went through actual things thousands of years ago. And I love these historical little personal bits because they remind us, we are going through the same things. 
We are going through the same sorts of things and we need the same encouragements to people on the other side of the world 2,000 years ago. What an encouragement for us. He finishes off a common thing that you'll see throughout the New Testament. A blessing for us as you're watching this morning. Grace be to you all. Grace. God exerting his kindness continually, continually, continually so we may be in relationship with God now and forever. And his final wish as we complete this section of Hebrews, is grace be to you. May God keep on pouring out his grace on you and you and you and me and you and you and you and you and you. May that be our prayer for each other, that God's grace is going to keep pouring out on us, that we can keep trusting in God, that we can let go of, not, uh, of, of all the th- other things that we trust in, the strange teachings, that we'd let go of our our temptation to revert back into our own ways, but we would own our faith. We'd own Jesus. We'd own what it means to trust in Jesus. Let's close in prayer before the worship comes. Father, we thank you so much for this book of Hebrews, for these final chunks of gold that we've got from this final chapter in Hebrews. Father, may we take in this exhortation. All these we've learned, may we keep ingesting it. May we keep listening to these words of Hebrews, and may they keep strengthening us for our life. Father, may we keep on exhorting each other to that grace-filled life, and we thank you, Lord. May you keep pouring out your grace, your kindness on us, that we may live a life that is pleasing to you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.